Continuing in verse 5, And Jeremiah commanded Baruch, saying, I am shut up. I cannot go into the house of the Lord. Therefore go thou and read in the roll which thou hast written from my mouth, the words of the Lord in the ears of the people in the Lord's house upon the fasting day. And also thou shalt read them in the ears of all Judah that come out of their cities. It may be they will present their supplication before the Lord and will return every one from his evil way. For great is the anger and the fury that the Lord hath pronounced against this people. And Baruch, the son of Neriah, did according to all that Jeremiah the prophet commanded him, reading in the book the words of the Lord in the Lord's house. And it came to pass in the fifth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, in the ninth month that they proclaimed a fast before the Lord to all the people in Jerusalem and to all the people that came from the cities of Judah unto Jerusalem. Then read Baruch in the book the words of Jeremiah in the house of the Lord in the chamber of Gemariah the son of Shaphan the scribe in the higher court at the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house in the ears of all the people. When Micaiah, the son of Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, had heard out of the book all the words of the Lord, then he went down into the king's house, into the scribe's chamber. And lo, all the princes sat there, even Elishama, the scribe, and Deliah, the son of Shemaiah, and Elnathan, the son of Akbor, and Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, and Zedekiah, the son of Hananiah, and all the princes. Then Micaiah declared unto them all the words that he had heard when Baruch read the book in the ears of the people. Therefore all the princes sent Jehudai, the son of Nethaniah, the son of Shelemiah, the son of Cushai, unto Baruch, saying, Take in thine hand the roll wherein thou hast read in the ears of the people, and come. So Baruch, the son of Neriah, took the roll in his hand, and came unto them. And they said unto him, Sit down now, and read it in our ears. So Baruch read it in their ears. Now it came to pass, when they had heard all the words, they were afraid, both one and other, and said unto Baruch, We will surely tell the king of all these words. And they asked Baruch, saying, Tell us now, how didst thou write all these words at his mouth? Then Baruch answered them, he pronounced all these words unto me with his mouth, and I wrote them with ink in the book. Then said the princes unto Baruch, Go, hide thee, thou and Jeremiah, and let no man know where ye be. And they went into the king, into the court. 
But they laid up the roll in the chamber of Elishama the scribe, and told all the words in the ears of the king. So the king sent Jehudai to fetch the roll, and he took it out of Elishama the scribe's chamber. And Jehudai read it in the ears of the king, and in the ears of all the princes which stood beside the king. Now the king sat in the winter house in the ninth month, and there was a fire on the hearth burning before him. And it came to pass that when Jehudai had read three or four leaves, he cut it with the penknife and cast it into the fire that was on the hearth until all the roll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. Yet they were not afraid, nor rent their garments, neither the king nor any of his servants that heard all these words. Nevertheless, Elnathan and Deliah and Gemariah had made intercession to the king that he would not burn the roll, but he would not hear them. But the king commanded Jeremiel, the son of Hamalek, and Sariah, the son of Azrael, and Shelemiah, the son of Abdel, uh, Abdel to take Baruch the scribe and Jeremiah the prophet, but the Lord hid them. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah after that the king had burned the roll and the words which Baruch wrote at the mouth of Jeremiah saying, take thee again another roll. And write in it all the former words that were in the first roll, which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, hath burned. And thou shalt say to Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Thus saith the Lord, Thou hast burned this roll, saying, Why hast thou written therein, saying, The king of Babylon shall certainly come and destroy this land, and shall cause to cease from thence man and beast? Therefore thus saith the Lord of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, he shall have none to sit upon the throne of David, and his dead body shall be cast out in the day to the heat and in the night to the frost. And I will punish him and his seed and his servants for their iniquity. And I will bring upon them and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem and upon the men of Judah all the evil that I have pronounced against them. But they hearkened not. Then took Jeremiah another roll and gave it to Baruch, the scribe, the son of Neriah, who wrote therein from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the book which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire. And there were added besides unto them many like words. Amen. It is the word of the living God. May the Lord add his blessing to the public reading of his infallible word for his name's sake. Now let's bow together in prayer. Father in heaven, in Jesus' matchless and all-prevailing name, we come unto thee this evening 
having read the words of the Holy Scriptures. And we come, O Lord, asking Thee that Thou wilt now grant that Thy Spirit will empower the proclamation of Thy Word and grant to us open hearts that we may receive the Word with understanding. O Lord, we pray tonight for grace to consider what we find in the Scriptures and that in all things we might find attention drawn unto the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Oh, how we thank thee and praise thee for the truth of thy word. We ask thee now that thy spirit will greatly empower us all as we come to meditate upon thy truth. Hear our cry, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. The latter portion of the history of the kingdom of Judah featured a progressive and accelerating decline in the nation's values. Now, I know you're probably thinking about the current historical context and think that I have that in mind. Well, it may be an application, but it is certainly the case that in Judah's time, there was a decline. The history of the northern kingdom that went into captivity in 722 BC was long over by the time of Jeremiah's ministry. But the southern kingdom's apostasy featured periods of revival mixed with departure from the truth. The last of those revivals came during the reign of Josiah, whose name we find mentioned in this chapter. Josiah was the boy king, whose reign began when he was eight years old, and of whom it is said in the scriptures that when he was yet young, he began to seek after the Lord with all his heart. A leading feature of the revival under King Josiah was the recovery of the Word of God and the young king's program to proclaim the Word of God throughout the land. In addition, as we learn in this chapter that we have read, God gave additional revelation through the prophet Jeremiah that included the warnings of divine judgment for the sin of the nation. The message was that the idolatry of the people during the reigns of previous kings estranged the people from their God and there was no way in which the judgment of God could be averted. Josiah died in battle still a relatively young man. When he died, the first of his sons, Jehoahaz, succeeded him. But it was not long before the king of Egypt, the pharaoh, deposed Jehoahaz and installed another of Josiah's sons, Jehoiakim, on the throne. And it is with Jehoiakim that we are concerned this evening. 
Because those events that brought Jehoiakim to the throne of Judah launched the final chapters in the nation's history. Jehoiakim, as appears in the chapter we have read, was as proud and foolish as his father was humble and prudent. Jehoiakim was jealous of his position, and he recognized that it was the Pharaoh of Egypt that put him into that position. So he was not going to listen to Jeremiah, especially the message from Jeremiah that the future of the kingdom was disaster. That the Egyptians, to whom the people of Judah looked, would not be able to protect them from the Babylonians. Jeremiah was the Lord's prophet. And as is the case with all of the Lord's prophets, he didn't care what the king thought or wanted. He was the prophet to deliver the Lord's message, even if no one would listen to it. And as we have read in this chapter, there were not many who would listen. So, being afraid of the princes of the land, some of whose names we've read in this chapter, King Jehoiakim sought to placate them by putting the prophet in prison so that Jeremiah could no longer go into the house of the Lord. And the king thought that by that means he would silence Jeremiah's ministry. But during the fourth year of the king's reign, as we have read, the imprisoned prophet received a message. And that message directed him to commit to writing all the revelation from the days of Josiah and onward. And Jeremiah received the direction from the Lord to have that written revelation read to the people. So the situation developed of which we read in this chapter, the wanton act of a wicked king in defiance of the Lord's word and person. And yet, this incident that took place in the court of the king and in the prison of the prophet became one of the hallmark demonstrations in the Bible of the enduring nature of God's word. Beyond that, this incident became a vivid illustration of how God's revelation gets to be on paper. In this chapter is a dramatic picture of the process through which the Bible came into existence. And in this chapter is the truth that when God's word has been given, no action of any person can blot that word out of existence. The word of God has behind it the power of heaven's throne. And whatever the response of people to that word, that word will stand forever. 
People will believe the word and live under it. Or they will refuse the word and bear its condemnation. But what God has said will come to pass. We also observe in this chapter that God declares what people should do when they hear his word. But at the same time, he shows what people will actually do when they hear his word. So this chapter in the Bible provides understanding in three aspects of the Holy Scriptures. So tonight, I want us to consider the theme, God's preservation of his revelation. God's preservation of his revelation. Now, it's no news to you, I'm sure, that throughout history, people have imitated the attitude and actions of King Jehoiakim. In the days of the Protestant Reformation, there were persistent efforts not only to defy the Word of God as the Reformers preached it, but to destroy copies of it. And whether that attempted destruction has been physical or spiritual, such defiance has never done anything to stop the power and the spread of God's word. An interesting illustration is from the life of the reformer William Tyndale. He was burned at the stake in 1536 because he was trying to give God's word to the English people in their language. The English clerics, following the king's bidding, bought up every copy of Tyndale's translation that they could find, and they burned them all. But the money they paid went into the hands of those who were printing other copies of Tyndale's translation. And so they helped in the printing of many more copies of that translation. And within a year of Tyndale's death, the translation that Tyndale did spread throughout England with the approval of King Henry VIII, who previously despised it. All they did was to remove Tyndale's name from the work. And then the king thought it was a pretty good thing. The message of our passage this evening is that your attitude toward the word of God I would say is not only important, but it is critical. What you think about God's written revelation is the indicator of your destiny. But here is the truth on which this chapter compels you to think. Your attitude about God's written revelation does not affect that revelation. Your response does not change that word or dislodge it from its place of power over you. You may sometimes have seen bumper stickers. I am not a believer in bumper sticker Christianity, but you may have seen bumper stickers to the effect that uh, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Whether I believe it or not has nothing to do with whether that word is settled. 
You cannot ignore God's word and prosper in your life. And history is littered with examples of that condemnation. There are people who memorize chapters of the Bible for a quiz, but find it difficult to express what the Bible says about depravity, about the wreckage of sin, or about the way of salvation. In this chapter tonight, we see the danger that comes from the efforts either to ignore the Word of God or to live in disobedience to it. So I want us to ponder three truths that we find in this chapter concerning God's preservation of His revelation. First, Scripture's origin. Scripture's origin. And here I come back to my experience as a seminarian many years ago now when we had a course in hermeneutics and uh, we had special attention drawn to this chapter and in particular to the recurring phrase that we find in this chapter, all the words. And because I think it's important for you to know, I'm going to note for you all the places in this chapter in which that phrase occurs. Verse 2. All the words. Take the roll and write therein all the words. Verse 4. Jeremiah called Baruch the son of Neriah, and Baruch wrote from the mouth of Jeremiah, all the words of the Lord. Verse 11. When Micaiah the son of Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, had heard out of the book all the words of the Lord. Verse 13. Micaiah declared unto them all the words that he had heard. Verse 16. When they had heard all the words, Verse 17, they asked Baruch, saying, Tell us now, how didst thou write all these words at his mouth? Verse 18, Baruch said, He pronounced all these words unto me with his mouth, and I wrote them with ink in the book. Verse 20, they went into the king, into the court, but they laid up the roll in the chamber of Elishama the scribe and told all the words in the ears of the king. Verse 24. Yet they were not afraid nor rent their garments, neither the king nor any of his servants that heard all these words. Verse 28. Take thee again another roll and write in it all the former words. Verse 32. We read in the middle of the verse that Baruch wrote therein from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words. All the words. There's an emphasis in that expression and in the frequency of it on the doctrine that the scriptures come from God. So that the inspiration of scripture extends not only to the ideas but to the words that express the ideas. 
It's the doctrine of the verbal plenary inspiration of the scriptures. The Bible is clear that the words themselves bear the stamp of God's power. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 and 16 that all scripture is inspired of God. It is God-breathed. The New Testament also emphasizes the reach of inspiration to every word and even to every part of a word. If you turn over to the New Testament, to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5, And verse 18, the words of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law until all be fulfilled. The jot, the yoth, the smallest character in the Hebrew language, the tittle, the smallest mark that distinguishes in Hebrew letter from letter, sometimes whether the letter is rounded or squared, that's the tittle. So when you take up the Bible, you are to recognize that what Jesus has said is not the smallest part of what God has given is going to pass away. You recognize the truth that every word is the word of God. And how did that revelation come to pass? Well, in this chapter, we get a picture of how the work of God's spirit caused holy men of God to write the words of God's revelation. Notice the emphasis in the chapter on the process of inspiration. We read in verse 4 initially, Jeremiah called Baruch the son of Neriah, and Baruch wrote from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord which he had spoken unto him upon a roll of a book. So Jeremiah said, Baruch, here is what the Lord has said. And when Jeremiah gave those words, Baruch wrote them down. Notice the question that is posed in verse 17 to Baruch. Tell us now, how didst thou write all these words at his mouth? They wanted to know how Baruch had written these words. Verse 18, Baruch answered them, it was not complicated. He said, he pronounced all these words unto me with his mouth. And I wrote them with ink in the book. So Jeremiah got the words from the Lord. He spoke them to Baruch the scribe and Baruch wrote them down. And that description shows us how the written record of the revelation comes into existence. When the king tried to destroy the copy of God's word, foolish man that he was, God directed that the roll be replaced. He directed that the destroyed manuscript be reproduced. 
long before there were such things as copy machines or anything of that nature. We find at the end of the chapter that the direction was given in verses 27 and 28 to take another role and write in it all the former words that were in the previous role that the king burned. We find here the origin of Scripture then. And there's a practical aspect to the knowledge of this origin. Since the Bible is the Word of God, you have to bow before it and acknowledge its truth. You have to desire direction from it. You have to live in conformity to its precepts. In Psalm 119 and verse 11, we read that the only way in which, or in verse 9, the only way in which anyone can cleanse his way in life is to take heed to that way according to the word of God. Scripture's origin. We give testimony here to the inspired word, the inspired Bible. And though there were many human penmen throughout 1,500 years of history whom the Spirit of God used to write down the words of God, yet there is a single message that unites the whole of the Bible. And this chapter then, building upon that truth, points us to another powerful truth, that is Scripture's authority. Now we come to the issue of a particular expression that I think has largely been discarded, and that is Scripture's infallibility. I have no problem with the idea of inspiration and inerrancy. The Bible is without error. But we come now to the issue of infallibility. Not infallibility as the Pope in Rome exercises it, but infallibility in the terms of authority. We must never discard the actual words in which we receive the truth of God's revelation. That's why throughout Protestant history especially, there has always been an emphasis on people learning to read so that they could read the words of the Bible. But we have to remember that it's not just an exercise in reading. Those words, being the words of God, have impact. They change lives. They change decisions. They are written so that there is a record of them. So if you ever need to know what God has said, you go to the written revelation, the written record of his revelation. And then you proclaim those words as God has given them. We have to assert the revelation of God and defend it in the faces of those who set themselves against it. And there are many in our day who set themselves against that revelation. 
and many of them occupy the highest places of power in government, not only in our country, but in many other parts of the world. Notice in verse 6 that the words were to be proclaimed. Therefore, go thou, Jeremiah speaking to Baruch, go thou and read in the roll, which thou hast written from my mouth, the words of the Lord in the ears of the people, in the Lord's house upon the fasting day. And also thou shalt read them in the ears of all Judah that come out of their cities. So Baruch, here is God's word. I cannot go and proclaim these words, but you go and read these words. Why? Well, we find in verses 3 and 7, the exposition of what we call in theology is God's knowledge of things potential. God knows things that would happen given certain circumstances, even if those circumstances will never come to pass. Notice verse 3, it may be, it may be that the house of Judah will hear all the evil which I purpose to do unto them, that they may return every man from his evil way, that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. It may be, God said, through Jeremiah the prophet, it may be that they will turn away from their sin. In verse 7, it may be they will present their supplication before the Lord and will return every one from his evil way, for great is the anger and the fury that the Lord hath pronounced against his people. It may be that they would be humble. It may be that they would repent of their sins and turn from their evil ways. It may be that they would present their supplication before the Lord. What God is saying, what God is saying here is that when the word of God goes forth, there's opportunity for the people to respond to it. Sinners should repent. Sinners should humble themselves under the mighty hand of God. They should call on the name of the Lord. But what do we find in the chapter? That's why I say it's God's knowledge of things potential. The clear import of the chapter is that Judah will not hear. Look at verse 25. Nevertheless, Elnathan and Deliah and Gemariah had made intercession to the king that he would not burn the roll, but he would not hear them. When the king burned the scroll, we read in the chapter that there was no outcry. There was no opposition. Think of it. Jesus said in the text that we read in Matthew 5 that not one jot or one tittle would pass from the law until all was fulfilled. Think of that now 
as when the various people who were there on the scene saw the king cut the scroll with a penknife and throw those roll into the fire, no one said anything. Except we read for those who made intercession that he wouldn't burn the roll. Here is the attitude of depraved hearts toward what God has said. But here is the truth that we learn from this chapter. They could not escape that word. They might have been upset that Jeremiah was saying, look, the king of Babylon is going to come and he's going to take over this place and burn it. And take all the people away into captivity. They might not have liked that word. But they couldn't escape it because it's infallible. It commands even those who refuse to receive it. Jehoiakim would not hear it, but God's word still commanded him. And the clearest indication of that command is in the last point to which we come, Scripture's preservation. And I can just imagine the king, you can almost see him in my mind's eye, satisfied with himself that he'd removed this threat to his authority. But then the scroll that was burned to ashes on the hearth, it was in the winter. That scroll did not come miraculously out of the fire, but it was reproduced in its entirety. Verse 28, take thee again another roll and write in it all the former words that were in the first roll, which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, hath burned. And thou shalt say to Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Thus saith the Lord, thou hast burned this roll, saying, Why hast thou written therein, saying, The king of Babylon shall certainly come and destroy this land, and shall cause to cease from thence man and beast. Therefore thus saith the Lord of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, He shall have none to sit upon the throne of David, and his dead body shall be cast out into the, in the day to the heat and in the night to the frost. No, there would be no funeral ceremony for Jehoiakim. His body would not be buried in the tombs of the kings in Jerusalem. His body would be thrown out like rubbish. You see, this passage assures us God knows how to care for his word and he will care for it and whether people believe it or reject it God's word will continue to stand let us turn to that psalm I mentioned earlier psalm 119 psalm 119 and verse 89 Forever, let us hear it again, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Beyond the reach of those who would seek to destroy copies of it, 
God's word is settled in heaven. God gives the word. And God guarantees the existence of that word. So that even before the word was revealed on earth, it was settled forever in heaven. It's indestructible. That's the message. Jehoiakim, you can throw the copy in the fire and burn it, but the word that will be recorded there cannot be destroyed. So what should your attitude be toward such a word? It must be that you humble yourself before it, that you commit yourself to be in subjection to it, that you open your heart to receive it. And as we also read in Psalm 119, that you hide its message in your heart so that the message of God's word is part of you. We live in times when people imagine that they can cast God's word off and say, well, if you want to believe it, that's all right for you, but I reject it. As though their rejection of it renders that word moot. It doesn't. That word continues to exert its power. So hide it in your hearts and resolve that this word that draws our attention always to the coming of Christ, the coming of Messiah, whether in his first advent or his second advent, it draws our attention to Christ. Let that word be hidden in our hearts so that we read it again and again and make it a practice to read through the scriptures every year My calendar goes from May to May, not from January to December, but I still read through the scriptures every year, and it always amazes me to hear in the reading of the word things that I hadn't really considered before. Oh, that tonight we would learn to value the word that God has said he has preserved and that he will preserve, and that will find its vindication in the day of Christ's appearing. That day is coming, and we can rejoice in that truth. And I trust that this evening you will leave encouraged that the word in which, on which you have staked your hope and your eternal destiny will never fail. May God bless the word and encourage our hearts with it tonight. Let us bow together in prayer. Our gracious Father in heaven, we thank thee so much for thy holy word, how it has encouraged our souls tonight to dwell upon the truth of it again and to ponder the reality that it cannot be destroyed that whether people hear it or refuse it, the word is forever settled in heaven. 
O Lord, we look unto thee and we pray for grace to meditate upon the word, to hide it in our hearts. O Lord, show us again the reality of how the word draws our attention to Christ. Hear our cry, we pray. Stamp this word upon our hearts tonight. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.